0: Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and today we are recording this podcast from the beautiful Westerlo Public Library. I'm here with Lila Hollister-Smith and she is an artist who does not work with a paintbrush. She works with a needle and fabric. And I'm sitting in the brand new and beautiful Hanne room at the library, and we are surrounded, surrounded by her various tapestries, I think i call them. And I just want to say thank you for joining us, Lila. And I thought what I would do is start by reading a description. She's a writer as well. And one of her pieces on the wall behind me is called Tree. And it says, I'm putting on my glasses to read this, sit on the hill with me and watch the sunset. My challenge, use odd-shaped scraps of novelty fabric like daubs of paint on canvas batting and backing fabric, free motion thread painting, sketching over rough, raw edge pieces gives a painterly effect. The tree has dimension because it is deconstructed, cord couched in place. So tell us a little about how you came up with that idea for that
1: artwork. I have several drawers full of a fabric that are just scraps from somebody else's sewing and in a lot of cases, uh, from wedding dresses, uh, who knows what, just little bits and pieces left over. And if I have something in the house fabric-wise, I feel like I have to use it. So I was trying to think of some way to use these little bits, and so I just experimented.
0: And what you came up with is really striking. The thing that impressed me when I walked in this room is how different each of these are. I would never have thought they were by the same artist. Do you know how when you look at a Van Gogh you say, oh, that's Van Gogh? You know, he's got a certain style, but each each one of these is so very different. How do you account for that?
1: Because I'm original (laughs) (laughs) and creative. Yeah. (laughs) And in a lot of cases, I let the materials give me the idea. Like in this case, it was the little bits of fabric that I had. Um, And then I just start playing. In other instances, I might want to be more controlled, and I'll draw a whole design out first and maybe even make patterns of the pieces so that I have more control. But sometimes it's just a play day.
0: Well, I noticed you said you did that on the one piece that's on the wall um, behind me, which won a first prize in a competition. So you must be someone who also shows and displays
1: your things. Seldom, mostly at the Quilt Guild shows. Okay. and I have had a, a couple of gallery shows. Tell us about the Quilt Guild. What is that? Well, it's uh, Quilting United in Learning Together.
0: Oh, it's an acronym. In, I see. That
1: that meets in um, Beth, uh, Delmar and our last show was in Troy and the next show in 2019 will be in Troy but we've held shows various places around the area and it's a Fairly large guild. Guild we have around two hundred members. Oh my goodness!
0: So, and what I had pictured seeing when I came here is not at all what I saw. I was picturing the kinds of quilts you put on beds. Are people? Are other people in the guild? Yes. Do they do artwork like you, or do they do both? Both. Yeah. Uh,
1: a lot of people in the guild are traditional, which means like you would put on a bed, and they. But even some of those people now are making small wall hangings in a traditional method. So, so there's, And there are art quilters in the guild as well.
0: So this particular
1: show you were in, it had a theme everyone had to do. It was called Fire and Ice. Well, that was just for at the meeting, a challenge. And then you can show in the coming-up show in a special group of people that uh, attempted that challenge, and they'll judge them again at the show. If you want to be judged, you you may be judged, or you could uh, elect to not be judged at our shows.
0: And does you must have elected to be judged because you won?
1: <laughs> well, in this particular instance, it was a, a competition.
0: And does the judging help you as a quilter? Does it sharpen your skills? Do the judges it, give you comments? It or? can.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they do at the shows that are held open shows um, they write up comments for those that are judged and then you can look at those and, and learn from those you can even sometimes take part in helping to hold up the quilts for the judges and things like that and hear their comments as they're going along and then there's a scribe that writes down the comments and then Gives the, the judge gives us a, a points certain number of points for certain categories in the judging, and then the persons and then how depending on how many points you get depends on what ribbon you get.
0: Well, this particular piece is just so stunning because it has a huge bonfire in the foreground and a silver moon shining down on the stream. It's just hard for me to believe that it's. I just um, One of the things that you wrote Because you're a writer too Is you wrote um, Because many art quilters use commercial printed fabric Designed by another artist The result is a silent collaboration And I just love that idea Tell me a little about that
1: thought. Well I have never heard anyone else say that but it seems to me like that's exactly what it is because some artists somewhere designed that fabric. So we may use it in a completely different way than would be expected, but it's still a collaboration of a sort. Yeah, and
0: it's nice because it's not just silent, it's kind of anonymous. You're working with another artist's work who you will never know. That's true. But there you are creating something from it. (laughs) Well, if we could just kind of back up to walk through your life, I would love to hear where you're from and how you first became acquainted with sewing.
1: Well, I have an interesting story about where where I was born to start with, if you want to hear that. Yes, I do. Uh, living in Colorado, my father was working in a mine in Westcliff, that's up in the mountains. And when it came time for me to be born, he was going to take my mother to his parents who lived in western Kansas. Uh, but in the meantime, he had a, a injury to his right leg, and so he was bandaged so driving an old car with a stick shift and had to clutch and everything, his bandaged right leg he had to hold out straight to the side, and so he drove with only his left foot through 10 inches of snow. After Once he got down from the mountains, then there was 10 inches of snow on the flat prairie, and the only way he could see to drive was to watch for the fence posts on either side of the road. And try to stay in the middle. Oh, my gosh.
0: And here he was with a very pregnant wife by his side. Very. Trying to
1: get her to safety. Oh, what a story. Very pregnant because they didn't make it all the way to his parents. Oh. <laughs> we, he, they had to stop at a motel. But he was able to get a doctor, which was good.
0: Oh, my <laughs> and gosh. And I was born
1: in a motel on the way.
0: Oh, what a wonderful story. An adventurous birth. So yes. did you then have an adventurous life?
1: Um, yes, I think so. You
0: grew up in Colorado
1: then? Uh, yes, in Colorado Springs.
0: And tell us about your life growing up.
1: Well, it, it was very protected life and a happy childhood. Were you the oldest child? I was, and I have uh, two younger sisters and a brother. And I was just recently thinking about how I used to make made mud pies and so on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One time when I was making mud pies playing in the yard, uh, and my siblings were around. I heard my brother yell, and I looked over and he had a chain hook hooked through his eyelid on our on our trailer that my dad pulled to get the coal for our furnace had chains that I think he probably wrapped around the bumper of the car to give added security to the trailer hitch. Mm-hmm. Though these chains were hanging there with hooks on the end. And somehow, when my brother bit over or something, a hook went through his eyelid. So I just went over and unhooked it, <laughs> took it, took, my, took him into my mother to be taken care of. And I, I, I remember that, but I don't remember any trauma or anything. Well, so you me. were
0: a very practical and competent yeah, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hook in the brother's eye, we'll just remove that. That's right. <laughs> Gosh.
1: So when did sewing come into your life? Well, I don't re- My mother sewed. And in fact, my mother helped her mother sew for the seven siblings on the farm in Kansas. So, what kind of sewing was this? This was clothing for the clothes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm, Uh, forgive me if I'm
0: being impertinent, but did you sew the thing you're wearing? It looks like somebody sewed it. It's very beautiful and unusual. I don't know quite how to describe it. It's a tunic with a large floral. Not a tunic. No, it's a, a what?
1: jacket. It's a jacket. Uh, of the style of a collet coat, K-H-A-L-A-T, okay. which I understand the merchants used uh, that were in the silk route that to show off their fancy fabrics. And it's a shape that I really like and I've used over and over, but I make my own changes to it because I do design my own clothing oh to accept. well I'm
0: glad I asked that because the fabric is what makes it stand out there are two fabrics that you would yes. never see together in a store bought item um, how would you, you describe them because you're better well, at this Well they're decorator
1: than fabrics, they're heavy cotton uh-huh. and the one the, is a light background with large flowers on it uh, muted flowers Yeah, combined with um Blue a with, deep some, blue. Uh-huh, with a, a light flower in a it, tiny small flowers, flowers. It's yes. like two
0: p- fabrics so you would never think I, of putting right. together, and yet it There's works. two
1: scales you like to mix. If you're going to mix fabrics, it's good to mix the scale, the scale of the print. So I have a large scale and a small scale, and, and the contrasting colors. It's marvelous. So your mother would sew clothes. Did she also quilt? Uh, No, I don't think so. Not until much later in life. Then she started to do just a little bit. And so as a child, were you attracted to this, or is this
0: something that came later in life?
1: I think it came as a necessity. When I wanted to have clothes to wear to school that were a little different Mm -hmm. and inexpensive, Mm -hmm. I learned to sew. So I started with things like gathered and pleated skirts, and then... Uh, graduated to a dress that I made without a pattern. Oh, my goodness. So you and, were designing even as a girl. Yes. What was this? Do you remember the dress? What was it like? Yes, it was um, a sheer, crinkly green. Uh, and it, it had to be over a, a slit because it was sheer. But it had a, just kind of a rectangular top but then pulled into a tight, like a cummerbund, band uh-huh. that had white ribbons around it, and then the ribbons hung down in the back oh and a full-gathered skirt. That sounds rather elaborate for designing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, simple shapes. Yeah. Rectangles, really. And In fact, I've continued to make a lot of clothes from rectangles but learned a lot of different techniques since then. So... What do
0: you, at this stage, what did you sew with? Was it a sewing machine? A particular yes. Kind? My
1: mother had a Pfaff sewing machine. What was it called? Pfaff, F-P-F-F-A-F, I think, something okay. like that. Okay, all
0: right.
1: <laughs> and um, then
0: at what point in your life, just kind of walk us through what happened both with yourself personally, that you ended up in Clarksville, or in Westerlo, as well as what happened with your sewing. How did that evolve?
1: Well, before I did much, uh, well, I went away from sewing for a while, first and went to college. And where, took where
0: did you go and what Colorado did Colorado
1: State University, and I got a Bachelor's of Science in Bacteriology, and, but I wasn't particularly interested in a career in that, even though I got a fellowship and did go ahead and study toward a Master's with Virology, that's viruses. But then I had a family by that time, and my husband was in the military, and I finally left college to go join them and take care of the family, because it was just too much to do yeah. <laughs> Well,
0: so tell us about your family.
1: Well, I have uh, two daughters and a son, and uh, the oldest daughter was in the military and traveled to Australia and Iceland. and. Saw some fabulous places and took lots of pictures. And then she came back here and got another a couple of different college degrees. And she went and worked in Utah. And then she's back home again and and enjoying taking care of our small farm.
0: Oh, how nice for you.
1: My <laughs> youngest daughter is a school nurse and also a gardener and has two children. And my son is a truck driver. He knew right from a young age, that that's what he wanted to be, and he went ahead and did it. Good for him. Yeah. Now, are any of them sewers? Do any of them do what you do or anything well, like it? the oldest daughter will do some mending. The youngest one is kind of artistic and tries to do a little bit sometimes, but she doesn't have the time. But she probably will do more later.
0: Now, at what point in your life did you go from sewing clothes to Making
1: artwork, how did that transition work? I always just made what I needed, and then but I was always interested in art as well, so I guess if I wanted a piece of artwork, I made it.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> so you, there wasn't one moment no. where you kind of said, Aha,
1: no, <laughs> it just evolved. Well, I was always creative and whatever because, like, probably the th- First things I can remember doing were quilts for our beds and that was just rectangles or squares of fabric mostly from like samples that are at a from a store where mm-hmm. they they move on to other designs and they have no use for those samples anymore and I'd collect them and make a quilt out of them but then I just kept changing them and doing different things until I got so that it, the artwork is the most important thing now And what happens to these artworks? Mm-hmm. They get stacked up in my story room. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they're gifts to people, aren't they? I have given a few gifts yeah. and I occasionally sell something but it's hard for me to give them up because they're part of me I can imagine that you must have um, a beautiful. Uh, what What is your house like? It's an old farmhouse. And does your art grace all the walls there? No. No? I've always been someone that collected images, other artwork, so I've framed a lot of those things, and they're mostly on the wall. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have so two. you showcase other people's work but not your own. Uh-huh. Well, I do some on mine, but it isn't my work show- on all the walls. <laughs>
0: now, is this a working farm that your farmhouse is on?
1: Or? It was a dairy farm at one time. Uh-huh. We grow our own food to some extent there now and, and make hay. It's not a working farm that has any income other than saving us money from food buying.
0: But what a lovely way to live. Yeah.
1: I purposely chose to have a simple life. I do the growing of food and preserving of food in the summertime, and I make my artwork in the wintertime. And And what
0: made you choose that path? I mean, you had
1: this degree. You could have been a virologist. Is that what you call a virologist? I could have. Yeah. Uh, My family was more important, and Mm -hmm. so I like to have healthy food for the family. That's great.
0: Well, also, I know you're very active in the library. You're a trustee, and you teach memoir writing here. Tell us a
1: little about why the Westerlo Library is such a big part of your life. Well, first of all, I don't teach writing. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how to teach writing. I, I lead a group and be try to inspire them to take the time and have the trust in themselves to do the writing. That's an important distinction, thank you um, But tell us a little, do you write yourself? Well, most of the writing do, I do Are things like describing my quilts are... Well, each one of those is <laughs> written so carefully That's why I went I went around before we started
0: taking pictures on my cell phone So I could read some of them Because I, I don't think I'll get up another one here if I can to read it There, They're written like little individual essays um, I'm going to find a different one and read it Do you spend as much time coming up with these essays as you do quilting them? Or is it just the process?
1: Shoot, I'm not getting my phone to work. Well, no, there's lots and lots and lots of hours in each quilt. Um, So what are you thinking uh, about as you're working on them all these hours? what the next step is, I would say.
0: So it's almost, it's a kind of meditation. Your mind is focused That's on true. the work at That's hand. True. Yes. It's not flying around thinking about grocery lists or things like that. But tell me more about the memoir writing group that you lead and don't teach. Who, who's <laughs> who's in it? Who, who comes and what kind of things do they write about?
1: Well, we do. are trying to write our own stories as memoirs are supposed to be. Uh, So, people that are associated with the library, mostly so far.
0: Do they come from all walks of life? Are they... Yes. um, Are they young or old, men or women or... They're all women
1: so far. All women. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Well, we started with... It's sort of a women's support group, the way we started. Uh, Well, tell me about that. When did that start? (laughs) Well, that's just what I meant by trying to inspire them. Uh And... Taking the time to do so, I would I would come prepared with a subject to encourage them to get rid of their critic that sits on their shoulder or mm-hmm. different things like that, and we'd talk about that. And then we don't do much writing in the group. Uh, we mostly discuss and talk about different things that might be bothering them and tell, getting around how to write that down or get on to another way to, to get past it so that they can write. And sort of then, overcoming the writer's block. Yeah. And then do you read the things to each other that you read? We do sometimes, yes. And then they go home and I try to give them an, uh, like a homework and they go home and write something. So one person was a nurse. So she's trying to write a, a lot of things about how uh, things that happened to her as a nurse. One person was a teacher and, and uh, has relatives in Italy. And she writes about things in her life. And another one grew up in a family that spent a lot of time with Shakespeare. So she writes mostly in verse. Oh, my so it's, goodness. So it's interesting. To grow
0: up in a family immersed in Shakespeare, that's really exciting. <laughs> it is. <Yeah. laughs> I can't
1: imagine that myself.
0: Yeah. Well, do you find any parallels in the creative process between making these artworks of art and writing things, uh, memoirs or stories about yourself? Are there parallels there in how... Sure,
1: you have to have a place to do it. You have to... Sort of like Virginia Woolf, a room was one to own. Where do you do it? Where's your place? Well, for my sewing, I have a studio, which is a room that was an attic room that when I first started using it, I could only stand up right in the middle. And then I had the walls raised, the roof raised, so that it's a real room now. And tell us what's in your studio. Describe it for us. Well, right in the middle is a big cutting table. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's a little higher than an ordinary table so that I can stand up to it and cut the fabric. lay out patterns or cut with a rotary cutter. And around the edges are shelves for bins of fabric or more tables a big a table for my sewing machines and other tables where books are stacked and another table where there's an easel and paints oh so you do painting too (laughs) some but as the last years it's been mostly fabric And the books,
0: are they books about sewing, the books that are sewing. A lot of them, yes. And you said sewing machines, plural? Yes. (laughs) Tell us about your machines.
1: Well, first, I used an old white machine for 30-some years and never had it serviced. Now there's more modern machines, which you're supposed to have serviced every year. Well, I try not to do that. I try to take good care of them, so I don't Mm. have to do that. But I do have now two Vikings... The one is a fairly simple one, and then I bought a used one that's an embroidery machine, but also will do every other kind of sewing as well. Do you ever sew by hand? Or yes, it, I do, and, and I embroider by hand. And you seem to mix them on the same. I do sometimes. Or
0: tapestry, yeah. I do. And. So I got you off the track. You're talking about needing a place. Where do you write? Where do you do your writing?
1: Well, there's the in my living room, there's a south-facing window. And I have a round table there that belonged to my Hollister grandparents. And I spend a lot of time there in the wintertime. And that's where I do a lot of my genealogy arranging, I have things from both sides of the family that I go through and rearrange and put in scrapbooks or put in notebooks. And do you and write I do, longhand? And I do write do you, there, yes. On a
0: typewriter, no. computer, longhand? And what, tell us a little about the genealogy. <laughs> what do you know going back generations of Hollisters
1: or Smiths? Well, there's a lot of it for my husband's family. I, and he's... Uh, descended from various Scots people. And so I have a lot of that to sort out. And then on my side, the Gates family uh, moved from Vermont and homesteaded in Kansas. And my great-grandfather was pretty active in all sorts of things in that state. I have a lot of information from them. And then the Hollister family was also in Kansas, but uh, I have a cousin that did genealogy there, so I have some information from them. But then I have a cousin that did the Gates genealogy, and so I have a lot of information from there. And there's even a Gates reunion every year, which I've only gone to once, but they do have that. And what was that like? oh it's it's interesting <laughs> i don't know it's i don't know most of the people too much anymore. We used to when I was a kid we would travel to Kansas every year or so, and i'd uh, see my cousins and have fun there mm-hmm. but um i don't have not in touch with those people too much anymore, but the cousin that did the genealogy of the gates she traced it back to Oh, some a sir, somebody or other who was attendant to the king, such and so, and like you know. So I, I have a lot of information there. So a touch of royalty. Yeah. Well, just probably a very much of a servant of royalty yeah. is probably yeah. <laughs>
0: well, so I got you way off the track. You were talking about, I was just curious to explore your own spaces. you were saying, what pe- what a woman needs to have is this. Space and you were going to list some other things, and I got you off the track. What were some of the other things you were talking about in order
1: to, you know, produce these memoirs or creative tapestries? Well, you have to give yourself time, and you have to, even if you're not respected, even in your own family, you still have to take that time and just do it. Somehow, so we discuss the various ways to do that. Yeah, that's important, isn't it? And
0: this idea of not even being respected in your own family—I guess that could make it very hard because
1: you've got to carve that out for yourself. And especially, well, so many people judge you by how much you make, what car up, you drive. I see outward signs. Yeah, and I don't. Subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. I think there's more important things, so you have to fight against that all the time to do an art or of any kind, whether it's writing or visual or performing whatever. So what are the important things?
0: You know, it's not the material things that so often we get caught up
1: in trying to consume. You said they're more important things. What, what are the important things to you? Take time, face-to-face time with your family especially and other people and enjoy the free things in life. I love that. <laughs> this is a
0: good end note. Our time went so fast. Is there anything... Any parting thoughts, things that we didn't touch on that you think are really important for people to know?
1: That the library is a valuable resource. (laughs) I've always enjoyed going to the library where I've learned a lot of things and had a lot of pleasure. And this one is a gem, a gem. Well, thank you so much, Lila Hollister-Smith. Thank you. You're welcome.